Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslander. This message is from the series Jesus in the Gospel of Luke and was preached on February 6, 2022. Good job, choir. We haven't heard as much from the choir during COVID as we had in the past, but it's always good and adds a very special element to our worship when they lead us. They practice, by the way, on Wednesday night at 545 in Building C. And if you'd like to join the choir, my hunch is Mary Kay wouldn't mind another voice or two or 10 or 12 or whatever. So um, that's a great way to help us lead in worship. We're continuing our study of uh, Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. And today we come to his boyhood, Jesus as a boy. Now I'll tell you from a personal perspective, I've always had an abundance of questions that the Bible doesn't answer them all about what life was like for Jesus as a boy. I want you to remember that yes, he is God, but he also came and he lived as a human being. And I always want to know what was it like in Jesus's family when he was a boy. Now, Understand, Mary and Joseph had a large family. After Jesus was born, they had at least six more children. And so Jesus grew up in a large family. And I wondered what it was like. Did his little brothers and sisters get on his nerves? And how did he handle that? We know he's perfect, but, you know, he was also a human being with real issues. Um, how did his little brothers and sisters deal with a perfect older brother? I saw my little brother yesterday. I should have asked him. Um, uh, oh. Sorry, I apologize. I repent of that. Anyway, um, did, did, did Mary resist the urge to say, you know, that very unwelcome parenting line, like, why can't you be like your brother? Because that had to have occurred to her. Um, I always wanted to know, and the Bible doesn't tell us, how much did Jesus know in the womb? I mean, God didn't bring him into the world as a baby, brought him into a womb, just like all of us. And, And how much did he know as his brain was forming and his body was forming? How much did he know as a boy or a teen or a young man? As a, as a teenager, did the neighborhood girls look at him and think he was cute? And, and did he look at them and think he was, they were cute? Did a neighborhood bully ever challenge him to a fight? And if so, how did he handle that? See, what I'm telling you today is, is Jesus lived as a real human being, and he went through all of the challenges and issues and temptations that anybody else would have. And I don't have all the answers to that. I just got a bunch of questions on what that was like. But today's passage does give us our only look at the boyhood of Jesus. The first part of it tells us what happened when he was about six weeks old, when Mary and Joseph brought him into the temple. And then we get this story, this kind of interesting story of Jesus at age 12, when he stayed in the temple, mom and dad left, and there was a little misunderstanding between him and his parents. And so we're going to read that story today. Luke chapter 2, verses 22, and going to the end of the chapter. Let's stand together as we read what the Bible says about Jesus as a boy. 
When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel." The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, This child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee to their own town of Nazareth, and the child grew and became strong. He was filled with wisdom, and the grace of God was on him. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the festival of the Passover. When he was 12 years old, they went up to the festival according to the custom. And after the festival was over, while his parents were returning home, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem, but they were unaware of it. Thinking he was in their company, they traveled on for a day. Then they began looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they did not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to look for him. After three days, they found him in the temple courts, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. Everyone who heard him was amazed at his understanding and his answers. When his parents saw him, they were astonished. His mother said to him, son, why have you treated us like this? Your father and I have been anxiously searching for you. Why were you searching for me, he asked. Didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? But they did not understand what he was saying to them. Then he went down to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them. But his mother treasured all these things in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and man. You may be seated. I really want you to understand this, but we have covered quite a bit in Luke chapter 1 and 2. And so the first thing that I want to do today is talk you through the timeline of what we have studied so far and putting it together with what we know about Matthew and Luke, which tell us the story 
of uh, the birth of Jesus. So this is the timeline of Jesus up until age 30 when he began preaching. Last week we looked at his birth. We don't have an exact date, probably about 4 B.C., and it was more likely in spring than when we celebrate it in uh, December. And then on that night, most likely, the shepherds came. And they came and they worshipped because they had heard the angels. Then we read last week on the eighth day of Jesus' life, um, they had the naming and circumcision. And he was officially named Jesus. And then on what we read today, and the law says that it was after 40 days, they had the purification rites where a firstborn son would be taken to the temple and an offering would be made. Now, normally the offering was a very expensive offering, but there was also a poor man's alternative, and that's what Joseph and Mary gave. And instead of the animals, they brought two doves or two young pigeons and I was thinking this week, very in an unholy fashion, that would solve our pigeon problem if we also made sacrifices. But uh, um, they, they, they brought him in, and they did that. And then, most likely after that, is when the wise men came. Only Matthew tells us about that, and he doesn't give a timeline, but by that time, Mary and Joseph and Jesus were in a house and, and not just out with the uh, animals. Um, and also, after the wise men came, things happened very quickly, and they had to escape to Egypt because Herod wanted to kill baby Jesus. And then, picking it back up in Luke, they moved to Nazareth instead of going back to Bethlehem. The story we read today was Jesus at age 12. It was the custom of Mary and Joseph, probably with their children, to bring them to Jerusalem for the Passover. And then after that story, we know almost nothing about Jesus until age 30, when he was baptized and began to preach publicly. So that's kind of the timeline, and I wanted you to, to see that, because we looked at a, a lot of different passages, and I'm putting them all together for you. I also want you to understand the characters, before I give you some instruction on this, understand the characters in this particular story. So we'll start with Simeon. The Bible says that Simeon was righteous, meaning holy or obedient. He was faithful or devout, depending upon your translation. He was spirit-led. God's spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. This was the hope of every Jew. Just like we want Jesus to come back during our lifetime, their desire was that the Messiah would come during their lifetime. And God's spirit had revealed to him that he would see the Messiah. On this particular day, led by the Spirit, he went into the temple. He quite possibly had heard the story of the shepherds. And so he might have known the Messiah has been born, and I'm going to go into the temple on about the 40th day and, and see. But then the Spirit led him directly to Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Clearly from his words, you can say he was a wise man. He understood God's plan. He knew that this baby, this Messiah, 
was for the Jews and the Gentiles. Most Jews just wanted a Jewish Messiah and didn't care about anybody else. Protect us from the enemy. I don't care about them. Just restore our nation. He was wise enough to understand that the Messiah would be for all people. And he was wise enough to look at Mary and prepare her for the tough times she would face. A sword will pierce your own soul, Mary. And my hunch is that Mary remembered those words when she stood at the foot of the cross, when Jesus, her son, at age 33, was crucified. So Simeon was um, righteous, faithful, spirit-led, wise. Anna, the other lady in the story, was a widow, and using the, the, the Bible translation, she was very old. Now, my particular translation, the NIV, said that she was a widow until age 84. The Greek could also mean she was a widow for 84 years, and some of your translations might say that, which means she could have been well into her 100s. Either way, that is very old for the first century. But she was still serving, still worshiping, still praying, still fasting, still teaching. She was introduced as a prophet. And you could see from her words that despite the hardships of her life, she was a very grateful lady giving thanks to God. A very gracious and kind lady. And then let me say a word about Mary and Joseph. From their offering, we know that they were poor. But you also can see that they were obedient. They did everything, and you can see it in their life, required by the law, it says in our passage from today. They did everything that God had asked of them. They accepted these miraculous events in their life. And you can also see that Mary especially, because we know more about her than Joseph, was growing and thinking. You will see many phrases, like she pondered these things in her heart. She thought about these things. She treasured these words. And so she did that to what she had learned from the, the angels, from what she had learned from Anna and from Simeon. And, and she was growing and thinking and trying to figure all this out. How does this work that my son is God? And she was still struggling with it at age 12, when Jesus was 12, trying to figure out how does this work. But I also want you to see that these were real parents, not perfect people. And so I love the fact that Luke probably got this story directly from, from Mary. Hey, did, you, did I tell you the time about when I lost Jesus? Now think about that. That's a real story of real parents. Have you ever lost a child? I've lost children in grocery stores. I've lost children in an airport when they put my daughter on a different plane and didn't tell me, and the plane came in and she didn't get off, and it took me a while to figure out where she was. I lost two daughters in the Grand Tetons when they thought instead of obeying dad, it would be more fun to follow a deer, and uh, they took off. <laughs> so I can identify with this story, and so probably can you. Now understand how this might have happened. Typically speaking, 
a large group from a town like Nazareth or from the region of Galilee would travel to Jerusalem together for the Passover and, and then 8, 10, 14 days later would return back home. And typically speaking, they would walk in this way. The women and the children would be in the front and the men would be in the back. A 12-year-old boy could be in either place. Usually children would walk with the women up front, but a 12-year-old, almost a man at age 13, according to, to Jewish custom, would sometimes walk with the dad in the back as the dad was kind of teaching him to be a man. So he could have been in other places, and undoubtedly, I've done this too. Mary thought he's with Joseph. Joseph thought he's with Mary. And parents, I just warn you, that can get you in trouble. My very first Sunday as a pastor in this church, we had eight children. Dawn took the big white van and went on home. Thought she had all the kids. I took my car and went home. And as we got home, understand I didn't have a cell phone at the time. Dawn came running out of the garage and, and said, do you have Kevin with you? Because the nursery just called and wanted to know if we were planning on keeping him there all day long. <laughs> I'm thinking, man, my first Sunday and I'm already in trouble. Turned around, came back and got Kevin. And so from then on, and some of you will remember it, um, we flashed hand signals. When Dawn would pull out of the parking lot, she would go like this. Meaning she had seven children and I had to find whatever two were left behind and I would bring them home. So I can understand this, but think of how awkward it was. I was thinking, what did Joseph pray when suddenly he realized full days walking out of Jerusalem, they didn't have Jesus? Um, God, this is Joseph. Do you remember Jesus? Yeah, of course, of course you do. Well, <laughs> I lost him. I mean, I misplaced him. I mean, I think I know where he is, but it's going to take me at least a day to get back there. Could, could, you, could, you watch, could you watch over him? I'm really sorry, God. I guess what I want you to understand about Mary and Joseph, though, they were great people. They were real people. They were not perfect people. And, and resist the urge to make all these characters in the Bible as real people. I mean, to resist the urge to think of them as perfect people. Because if you think of them as perfect, you're going to look at yourself and say, I, I could never qualify. I could never serve God. Listen, God specializes in using imperfect people for his work. We need to be righteous and devout and wanted. But, but God used Mary and Joseph. So with all those kind of details about the passage, I want to share with you some things. What does this tell us about Jesus? And I'm going to start with the words of Simeon. He is universal, meaning he came for all people. Notice what Simeon said, my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. He is for all nations, all people, a light to the Jews and the Gentiles. Jews claimed God as their own. They misunderstood what God had meant when he called them the chosen people. He wanted to use them to bring truth to the world. They kind of began to look inward. We as Americans sometimes tend to do the same. We think of God as 
our God. We think of Jesus as a white Anglo-Saxon baby who speaks English, and we have a tendency, just like the Jews, to think that the world revolves around us. And so we need to be reminded that God loves all people, relates to all people, died for all people, cares for all people. English is not God's favorite language. America is not God's favorite country. White is not his favorite skin color. Baptists are not his favorite denomination. He's for all people. Now, be careful with words. I'm not saying I'm a universalist, which tend to believe that all people are going to be saved. I'm not saying that, but I am saying that Jesus loves all people, died for all people, and anyone who calls on the name of Jesus in any language will be saved. There is one God, and one God came down for heaven for all people. And we need to understand that, and Simeon showed incredible wisdom in those years. We need to be constantly reminded that God is not an American, and his love does not stop at our border. He's for everybody. He's universal. Number two, and I love this word, he is inescapable. You have to deal with Jesus. Everybody does. Simeon said, this child is, cause, is destined to cause the falling and the rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken again so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed. Ultimately, you and I have a decision to make. We're either going to believe in Jesus and be given everlasting life and we will rise with Jesus or we will refuse to believe in Jesus and that will be our ultimate downfall. Ultimately, for all of us, the thoughts of our hearts, Simeon said, will be revealed. And so what will you do with Jesus? It's a decision that everybody needs to make. Is he the Son of God, or is he not? Now, now listen, just so you understand, to fail to make a decision is in itself making a decision. You've got to decide that. Everybody has to decide that. Is he the Son of God? Did he die for me? Did he rise on the third day? Is he alive? That's a decision that everybody has to make, and that's an inescapable decision. You're going to make it one way or another. I'm just challenging you to make it now to believe in Jesus and follow him. And then in Simeon's words, we also saw that following Jesus is challenging because he is challenging. In the midst of all these great words about Jesus, when, when Mary's heart had to be thrilled, excited, her son was being exalted, he was being glorified, all these great words that any mom would love to hear about her son, then Simeon looked her in the eye and said, a sword will pierce your own soul as well. You've been chosen by God. And, and listen, we need to be real about this. Those who are chosen by God often face a challenging path. 
So in her case, um, we know she lost her husband somewhere along, was a widow, had the challenging of raising at least seven children, and then watched Jesus as the crowd began to turn against him, watched him being whipped and beaten and crucified. Most of those in the New Testament who followed Jesus, especially the leaders, faced tough challenges and oftentimes tough endings. I'll just give you some examples. Peter, great man of God, great disciple, great preacher, died on a cross upside down. James, sons of Zebedee, James was beheaded. John was exiled. Thomas overcame his doubts, preached Jesus, and was most likely, historians say, killed by a spear, actually four spears. Philip was tortured to death. Matthias was probably burned to death. Now, I'm not telling you that you will become a martyr. But I guess I am telling you, don't rule it out. I am telling you that if you say yes to Jesus, you should be prepared for some tough times. We are one of the few generations of Christians and one of the few locations on earth in America where we had become, at least for a time, the majority. And it has been easy. It looks like the tide is turning against us. And it may once again be tough if you're going to take a real stand for Jesus. I'm just asking you to think about that, pray about that, and be ready for that. Because it's the normal course of the Christian life that we will face some hardships and challenges. It's part of following Jesus. Now, I'm not a prophet in the sense that I can tell the future, so I don't know what's going to happen. What I really pray for is a great spiritual awakening where hundreds of millions turn to faith in Jesus, but I don't know. We may become a small minority and we may be hated because we take a stand for Jesus. Either way, we need to be ready for whatever God's going to do. So, so let me give you a little bit about the, the about us portion of the message. What does this passage teach us about us if we're serious about following Jesus? And the first thing I want to say is this, and I hope you're working on it, and you're working hard on it, and you're taking it seriously. You and I need to focus on becoming the person God wants us to be. I hope you've seen the truth just in the first two chapters of Luke. Those who want to be part of God's story need to focus on their own character and work hard to become the people God wants them to be. Think of the people we've met so far in Luke. Zacharias, Elizabeth, Mary, Joseph, Simeon, Anna. They were more than just people who believed in God. They lived for God. And so they were described as faithful, righteous, devout, holy, spirit-filled, obedient people of prayer, praise, worship, and service. Does that describe you? And if not, why not? And if not, what are you doing about it? Because we, we have a tendency in America to, to kind of fit in the middle. 
Well, I'm not holy and righteous and faithful, but I'm not as bad as they are either. And if you really want to be part of what God wants you to be, you need to get out of the middle and take it seriously. So you need to work so those words, faithful, righteous, holy, spirit-filled, faithful, devout, obedient people of prayer, praise, worship, and service describes us. It does not describe the typical churchgoer of America right now. We need to make sure it describes us. So, so number one, become the person God wants you to be. Number two, following the example of Mary, listen and learn. I love this about Mary, because you see it constantly. She pondered these words. She treasured these words. She learned, listened deeply to others, what they said about Jesus, and she learned from them. She learned from the angel, from Elizabeth, from Simon, from Anna, from her own son. Understand when we call ourselves disciples, biblically there's two aspects of discipleship. Learning and doing. And you can't do well until you've learned well. And when you learn and you do, that makes a disciple. And so listen to preachers, but especially listen to the word itself and learn from it. Because I really, I want to be what God wants me to be. I want Avondale Baptist Church to be what God wants us to be. And we need to listen and learn from God. Because there are a thousand other people who will tell you their version of truth. We need to get it from God. And so listen and learn from Him. And number three, just some advice to those of us who are getting older. Don't quit. (laughs) Simeon and Anna were, were a great encouragement to me. They were both old. We don't know how old Simeon was, but basically he said, okay, I've seen Jesus. Call me home now. I'm ready. I've lived my life. I'm done. Call me home. Anna was somewhere between 84 and 105, but they were still serving, still praying, still fasting, still teaching. They never quit. Listen, you may retire from your job, that's okay, but you never retire from Jesus. And all of those in the New Testament, if we look at leaders, we're we're serving Jesus right up to the day that they died. And so don't quit. So what next? I'm going to give you two things this morning before we participate in his supper. Number one, I'm asking you to make a commitment today. God, with your help and with the help of the Holy Spirit, I'm going to become what you want me to be. And I'm going to start by admitting I'm not there yet. If you think you're there, well, number one, you're not. Number two, you're a liar. And number three, you're not going to grow a bit more in the rest of your life. So you start by saying, I'm not there yet, God. I've got some things to learn. I've got some issues to overcome. I've got some bad habits to break. I've got some good habits to build. Help me. And I'm asking you to make a commitment today that you will become the person God wants you to be. And number two, I'm going to ask you to hyper-focus on Jesus during the Lord's Supper. We're going to take the bread and the juice, a reminder of what Jesus did for us on the cross when he died because he loved us. And then he called us to follow him.
So I'm going to ask you when we start that to, to forget about even me, the people around you, and just focus on Jesus. Now, we're going to pray. I'm going to ask you to, to stand. There'll be people here if you'd like some prayer to help you focus on Jesus or you're ready to make a decision to do so. And then after that, we'll participate in the supper. Let's all stand together. Thank you for listening to messages from Avondale Baptist Church and Pastor Jack Marslinder. You can find out more about our church at abcaz.net. And if you would like to hear more sermons, you can find Pastor Jack Marslinder on most podcast apps. Thank you for listening, and may God bless you.